0: Hello, welcome to the CG Pro podcast. Thanks for joining us. We have a very special guest today, William Fochet. And if you like what you hear today, subscribe to our YouTube channel and follow us at becomecgpro.com. Uh, William, who is joining us here today, is probably many of you will know him from his YouTube channel. William's a prolific uh, visual effects artist coming from the, the games world through into the visual effects world and. Uh, become a, a force in the virtual production world as well. Um, William's worked on lots of cool things like the Watchmen, HBO series back in the visual effects time, and now has a, one of the most popular YouTube channels uh, covering Unreal Engine and virtual production. Um, William, welcome. It's great to have you here today. Thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Great to, great to see you again. Yeah, great to see you too. Yeah, thanks for joining us. So um, yeah, feel free to, to fill in any gaps there. I gave you a, a quick intro, but if there's anything else, that...
1: yeah. So at the moment, I mean, like you put it so eloquently, I'm doing mostly YouTube as well right now, and I've also been doing making some courses for Epic Games. Um, just some of their uh, mostly about the like the movie queue tutorials that I've made on their Unreal Online Learning platform. Uh, so I've been doing courses for Epic, and I'm, right now I'm also a mentor at CG Spectrum. Uh, where I'm teaching part time, uh, I've made some courses for them as well. So some world building in Unreal uh, courses I made for them as well. So uh, so that's been a, a really fun. It's been a fun experience. It's been it's always very rewarding to teach students and such. So it's uh, it can be you know frustrating sometimes, but also very rewarding. It's very time consuming, and it's cool to see the progression of people you know from start to finish. So it's always a, a really fun thing to do. I've always enjoyed it, and I'm, as you are very well aware.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we we definitely have that in common, yeah, Mm -hmm. being teachers in this subject. It's a, yeah, it's a real honor to get to see people's work and see people's progressions and watch them go on. It's really
1: cool. It really is, To, to see, especially when you have a student who, you know, you weren't too totally sure about at the start and then, you know, through the sheer will of hard work um, they managed to pull through and make some amazing stuff that you know you you know it catches you by surprise. You're like, whoa! And you know, I didn't expect that. That's amazing. And so it's it's really satisfying to see that come to fruition there. So it's been and it also keeps you on your toes, just because sometimes student, you know, as you're well aware, students will ask you questions that you're like, wait, I, I don't, I don't actually know that. Um, you yeah. know, it kind of gives you a different way of thinking, different philosophy on things. So uh, it's it's it really does keep you on your toes, and you know, you it makes you need to make sure that you stay up to date on the newest stuff as well because it's very you know after you're in the industry for a long time it's very easy to become complacent and, and just you know rely on your history to uh on your past experience but you know you got to stay up to date because things are constantly changing so fast so yeah. uh yeah it's it's been it's been good it's been a good time
0: That's great yeah I I would say that with with um knowledge that you really know it when you have to teach someone else like that's yeah. that's the point which you actually know something like there's been so many things that i've taught or i've been teaching it and gone oh i understand that now just as i'm saying it to you yeah
1: <laughs> yeah, just yeah. Like having to simplify things in a more digestible format it really is you're like oh yeah you know what like yeah okay it, it clicks now like actually writing it down and repeating and kind of even rehearsing it's like oh yeah that makes that actually makes more sense so yeah, it, it's a good, uh, it's a good experience.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Keep, it keeps you honest, and as you said, it it um, the pace of change feels like it's picked up as well. I think it it probably has, <clears throat> whether it's perception or not. It, I think the pace of innovation is has kicked into another another gear, particularly around this new real time renaissance. It has.
1: It really has, and because I feel like games for a long time were kind of where. Kind of like I feel like games and VFX are kind of ten years apart. Where you know, games are getting to the point where VFX was like ten years before that, and um, yep. so. But now like those two worlds are really slow, are rapidly converging, and it, it's really cool to see. Um, it's cool to see games kind of stepping up very quickly, and you know, VFX is progressing as well. It, it always is, but it's. I feel like it's more. It's not quite going as fast as games is right now. Or when I say games, I mean real time. Um, so, it could like 10 years ago, I don't think we would have considered using Unreal to render anything, to be honest. Like, I don't even, you couldn't really render anything in Unreal. I mean, you would, you could like screen record and stuff, but you're rendering out for pre rendered final pixel stuff was not really a thing 10 years ago in Unreal. So, because then UE4 yeah. only came out, in, what, 2014? 2014, right. something like that. So, it, it's, you know, it's new, sorry, it's not that old, to be honest, like less than a decade. So um, things have come a very long way since the first versions of UE4. And now with UE5, pretty much here. I mean, the early access is here. The final, the 5.0 is not here yet, but it's at a doorstep. It's, it's imminent. So,
0: Yeah, usable. Yeah. Yeah, it's amazing looking back in, over my career and thinking about what... what um, Car commercial, for example, that I worked on 15 years ago that I was leading, that was, we were putting renders on the farm that that were saying they were going to be a week before that came back off the farm oh, and making you poor my adult. producer cry. <laughs> <laughs> I love like oh, some of the kids but, you know, today. If you're famous, then you're yeah. kind of screwed. We had to, yeah, we had to do all the, all the optimization work that you do in real time, but for offline, just to make the yeah. renders go faster and take yeah. passes out and just do render half rares and upscale, do all the, all the same things that are now coming into real time. But And the renders that were coming off in a week off a big render farm looked not as good as, as the Matrix demo. And it's and oh, like sure. looking at it, um, that's it's so crazy we've come to, come to this point where you can actually get the frame back instantly and it looks yeah. better.
1: It, it, it's crazy i mean i don't think it's it's not easier there's definitely a, a, a fair amount of extra work that goes into real time stuff like just because you know a lot I've, I've noticed a lot of studios they kind of expect unreal to be a faster arnold so to speak but as we all know it's not a faster arnold it's it you know there are it has to take shortcuts somewhere and you know a lot of times like you kind of need to make up for that time that you save by either spending way more time on assets than you normally would, like things like displacement don't exist. I mean, they exist in Unreal, but they're kind of half baked. So you know, I don't think it's any faster to develop uh, for real time at least in its current state. Things might change, you know, with Nanite and uh, and Lumen moving forward, but it's still a lot of work to get things you know looking amazing in real time.
0: Yeah, but, it's absolutely. I think it's I think it's done amazing things in terms of getting it out to more people and having more people interested in it and more yep. people capable of creating imagery but it but it sort of also hidden the fact that the art is still crucial and what you put into it is crucial there's a lot more that you can leverage that from the marketplace and that kind of stuff but if you want to make your yeah. own stuff the same old skills we've been using for a long time
1: that's definitely a good point like this we can find I think the barrier of entry now is much lower than it used to be as well because now yeah. anyone can just kind of download a pack on the marketplace or even I mean make scans alone is phenomenal like that thing it's crazy how good that is now um, just such a, a fleshed out library that you know anyone who with zero experience in 3D can just go ahead and get started and you know within a, a day get a pretty darn good looking render which is just it's crazy to me it's, it's completely fascinating. Um, but of course like that doesn't compensate for a lack of fundamental understanding of 3D right? Um, Yeah. I think that's kind of we're getting to the point where a lot of people don't really, I mean, you can tell right away when someone doesn't really know 3D that well. Um, Just because as the moment, like this is actually something I've noticed with my students is you will notice right away where they just, the moment they have any kind of hurdle, whether you need to change the UVs or there's a a mesh normals issue, they're stumped. They have no idea what's going on. And uh, so things are easier but that you still need to have a solid understanding of 3D um, to, to to use, to get into the real-time world, I think.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and I th- yeah, I think you put it really well there. It's, it's it's lowered the bar so that people can actually get in, can actually make imagery, and you know, we see people all the time who've got no experience at all coming in and, and doing things that are useful to them straight away. But yeah, yeah if you, once you start getting into it and you want to change something or create something of your own, then people start kind of dipping back into the, the the world that we've been in for a while in visual effects and starting to want to learn another DCC and some other tools to kind of supplement yeah. that. Yeah, 100%. Yeah.
1: It's, uh, so, you know, I think it's good. I, I've noticed a few students think they, they're, they're good artists. They have a good eye for things, but you know they're missing some core foundational 3D skills that are just really, really important to have even you yeah. still know how you know know how to UV things. you need to know how to you know because the moment that you need to make anything that's not currently existing that you can you can't find in the marketplace well you know they're still they don't know what to do right so um then you yeah. can, I mean you can buy stuff on turbo squid but at some point sometimes you need to make your own assets right so yeah
0: absolutely yeah um so speaking of that no why don't you uh Tell us about how you got into all of this in the first place. What what's what were some of your um, inspirations for getting into the industry and kind of how how did you how did you get in in the first place? What was your beginning story?
1: It started off, I would say, a long time ago. I don't remember the specific year, but uh, I was a kid. I must have been like 12 or 13 or 14, and I had the I was at the bookstore with my mom, and there was the Introduction to Maya 4.5 book, and I saw that, you know, I was into video games, I wanted like, I want to make video games when I'm older, and you know, this was maybe the mid-2000s or something? And at the time, like, you couldn't really, I mean, there wasn't, people didn't really know that you could make game for a living, like, it was just kind of this obscure thing, and uh, so I really wanted that book, and my mom, you know, begrudgingly got it for me because it was really expensive. And so, you know, that's where I learned what a vertex was. It's where I learned how polygons work. You know, I there was, like, a trial for Maya in it, so I nearly fried my parents' computer just getting Maya installed. And so that was kind of my introduction to 3D. And then that kind of took the side burner for a few years. And um, <clears throat> so then, you know, fast forward a few years, and you know, I was finishing high school, and I, was a, I had finished high school. I was starting college, and I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I was kind of kind of lost and I was the uh, I had a few ideas of what I wanted to do career-wise but it wasn't anything decisive and so uh, lo and behold I found a school that specialized in 3d art in my hometown and so that like right away I'm like okay I want to do that and uh, but this at the same time this was a private school for profit school um, and it was kind of what you would expect it was the kind of school that just hired its former students and so it wasn't a great school to begin with, and um, so I did learn the fundamental, like the core, very, very basics of three D. But I would I prefer to say that I'm mostly self taught, just because everything I know now is stuff I've learned on sites like Polycount. Like Polycount was really big in the day. I'm not sure if you're uh, familiar with it, but the Polycount forums yeah. were a, an amazing learning experience. Like this was like you know mid to late two thousands. Uh, 2008, 2009, anywhere between 2008 and 2012 or something was an amazing place to learn. Like that was where I learned most of what I know today, at least when it comes to game art. And so without that community um, of the best part of that community was that there was a collection, a, a very large group of veterans of the games industry. And these were people who were working at AAA studios and they would just, you know, you could have like your work in progress threads. And just post what you're working on, and people would critique the crap out of it. I mean, they were absolutely brutal in their criticism. <laughs> like it was constructive criticism; it was nothing personal, but they were rough. And so, like, okay, this looks like crap because of X, Y, Z. And so that's where it really weeded out the people who were very thin-skinned and couldn't take constructive feedback. And those people left, but the people who did, who applied that constructive criticism to their work, really like grew. As an artist. And it was really cool to see that progression. And that was where I realized that, you know, constructive criticism is the best possible way to learn and grow and accepting the criticism and realizing that it's not a personal attack against you. Um, it, it's more about how you can improve your work from someone who, A, has more experience than you, had the better eye for, than you do, and can kind of see the problems you're going to face down the line which is where having a mentor or a teacher whose experience is really, really handy to have because, you know, it happens with my own students, I'll see them working on something, I'm like, I can see that in two weeks they're gonna run into XYZ issue. And so that's where having that the, the Polygon community was an amazing learning experience, they had lots of sticky threads, and like, hey, this is how you do XYZ, because there was no, I mean, YouTube wasn't really big yet at that point, point. Gumroad didn't exist either, so there was no documentation at all, you kind of had to figure it out on your own. And that's where like, that forum was inc- an incredible learning experience. So um, and the t- people would like take your s- screenshots of your work, they would do paint overs and stuff. And like, no one does that anymore. And this was absolutely awesome. So like, it's a shame that it's, it's probably is still around, but I don't I think it's a shell of what it used to be. So uh, yeah, it's a different it's a very different uh, environment now than it used to be. There's more the wealth of knowledge now, there are tutorials for everything. So, it like I said, I think the barrier of entry is a little bit easier now than it used to be, primarily because of accessibility to knowledge. You got amazing people sharing really good knowledge out there nowadays, and uh, which just w- didn't exist back then. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, so that's kind of how it came to be. And so, I was lucky because right place, right time. When I finished that one year of that one year program, uh, that was not a very good school, I got lucky in got a job in the industry, in the games industry, working in Montreal, a small indie studio, um, and that's I was there for, like, five or six years, so that was my, um, most of my life was, was spent, you know, working in games, or most of my career, sorry. Um, <clears throat> and then, uh, you know, went traveling for a while, took a break. Um, I thought I was going to be done with the industry. I was fed up with all the crunch and, like, uh I, I don't want to do this anymore. And after several months away, that ZBrush itch kind of came back, like, oh I kind of want to I want to get paid to sculpt stuff now, right? So uh, I kind of went back back into the industry. I went back working at the same place actually for another year or two. And then uh, I figured like, okay, I think I've done, I've been around the block in games. I kind of want to go into VFX now. And I want to do film, right? Like I was tired of making collision boxes and stuff. I don't want to do that. I want to make like (laughs) really good looking art. So that's when I joined the Storm Studios in Norway. And uh, that was, like, an amazing learning experience as well because we had people there who had worked on, like, The Hobbit. They had people that had worked at, at Weta for a long time, uh, people working at DD in, um, in L.A. So, yeah, in DD. And um, they were just an amazing learning experience. So really, really skilled people who were basically my mentor. They taught me everything I know about VFX. And just being in daily meetings every single day, again, that was kind of took me back to to segue back to like the Polycount forum where it was just awesome to have someone c- critiquing your work on a daily basis and someone who's actually very skilled and points out all the flaws and just like pixel peeps, like, you know how it is in daily, like people will just like zoom into like 400% like, Oh, this, this group of pixels here kind of fix that, you know, that sub pixel detail is not good. And like, so yeah. that was an amazing experience. Like I really loved it. I really, really loved it. So, um, yeah, uh, that's uh, and that's kind of how it came to be so that's where I got my all my VFX experience and then you know COVID happened and then YouTube channels happened and uh, it all kind of the past two years have been really really crazy so
0: yeah I, I agree well that's really cool to hear no I think it's we have a lot of different kinds of listeners um, some people are already in the industry some people who are not and I think for people who are looking to get into the industry it's really helpful to Hear how it happened for you, because I know for certainly for me it was pretty difficult getting in initially, and um, mm-hmm. very similar kinds of things in, in yeah. looking for instruction. I, I also remember that on un- the not unreal the Maya four book. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the internet didn't exist no, particularly it, it, it at it that point. So I
1: still have the 3D and yeah. Max Bible. It's like this monster of a thing. It's so big. And uh, that's how you had to learn. You had to read pages, like, oh, like, what's this random setting to do this XYZ? And you'd like flip through the book and, like, okay, there it is. And and of course, like, a version would change and that button doesn't exist anymore. And, like, oh, cool. Yeah. Great. (laughs) So it was, uh, but yeah, I got really lucky. Like, again, right place, right time getting into VFX because the main reason I got the job in VFX to begin with is because uh, Storm Studios was. It was the v- they're a VFX studio. They're, they're they're like one of the biggest VFX studios in Norway, but they were actively working on an Unreal-based project, and that's kind of where I kind of came in because I'd been working with Unreal for the past six, seven, eight years, and um, you know it would kind of then it the stars kind of aligned right. So I kind of slipped into the VFX industry that way without any prior VFX experience, and it was it was just a, a learning experience from there. So once your foot is in the door, you're kind of set to go.
0: Cool. Yeah, it's um, so it was the Unreal that was the uh, the glue that kind of it cool. was. It was.
1: Yeah. I think it's just really, this one at a time because I it, I almost went the the Unity route because yeah back in 2008 Unity and Unreal were very on par. Like they were, I mean they were close. And then there was CryEngine in there as well. And those CryEngine, yeah. Unity, and Unreal, like those three were very like neck and neck. Um, but I think the main reason that most environment artists that I that's what I was going for. I was trying to be an environment artist, and most environment artists use Unreal just because it would way more user friendly, m- more artist friendly. Sorry, I should say um, it would just easier to get, have access to your material nodes and like make complex materials and stuff. It would just way easier to use for that very reason. So. Um, <clears throat> Yeah, I think Unity didn't, at the time didn't really have that artist friendliness. You needed a programmer to make your materials or you needed third-party plugins to make your own materials and stuff, right? As you're yeah. well aware. So we've, we've had this conversation before, but yeah. So, <laughs> Unre- so as, as you say, <clears throat> excuse me, as you say, Unreal was the glue, yeah.
0: Right, yeah, it's interesting to go tra- transitioning between industry sometimes can be uh, challenging, And you know, I from The Lion King was lots of games people coming into virtual production, I guess, it was, it was a very, very new word. We weren't even really using the word at, at the time. Was, it was the same
1: thing that we had, where we had VFX artists suddenly doing some real time stuff and they were just completely stumped because the workflow was completely different. And this was yeah. before night there was no, you know, there was no, uh, indirect lighting had to be faked. Entirely, and so people coming in would like, oh, yeah, just a slap displacement on everything, right? And like, no, no, that's not yeah. quite how Not really. <laughs> no. so, so I mean, tell an after VFX artist, you know, five or six years ago, what a normal map is. There's like, what's a normal map, right?
0: So, yeah, no, it's, it's yeah. interesting culturally as well because two very different cultures coming together, yeah. as well as the art. Yeah. Until, so uh, so uh,
1: it, definitely learning experience for for those VFX people.
0: Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I, I want to ask you, um, you know, going going back to your kind of beginning story again, just for a second, because you, you've been a really avid um, photographer and I saw recently you put a video out about, about yeah. photography and about its influence yeah. on your work. And I, I thought that was really interesting and I, I resonated with that because I, kind of, I was a computer scientist getting into right. this, but photography was my kind of art art side, trying to get mm-hmm. into something uh, to do with computer graphics, and it really, really helped me as yeah. well. So uh, it really um, resonated with me hearing you talk about that. Um, I know that's a, a real passion of yours, and that uh, seems like it's helped helped you a lot. A hundred percent. Yeah, uh, can, you, can you say it, anything I would, about... I really
1: would be sitting here today in front of you if it were for that camera like right behind me, right there. It's, right uh... <laughs> Like, eh, it's it's been such an influential part of my entire career. At first, it was just, you know, a way to get my butt outside. And uh, it was nice to, you know, you know just do something different and not be in front of the computer. And then it's only in hindsight that I realized, like, oh, like, everything I've learned from photography has, like, absolutely made my work better in every conceivable way. Uh, but sorry, I cut you off. You were about to say something.
0: <laughs> oh, no, I was just going to say, no, I'd love to hear how it's affected your work and that continues to because I think... It seems like you're still very avid uh, practicing photography. I,
1: would say I, I wish, I mean, you know, real life happens and, uh, you know, I haven't had time to shoot all that much, but yes, I, I, have, I love taking photos still for sure. And uh, it, it, it's going to be with me until the day I die. Um, it's one of those things where it's just, it's so satisfying. And like, I'm also a camera nerd. So I just love holding like advanced pieces of tech in my hands. It's just so satisfying. Um, and I, I tend, I have a nasty tendency to really, you know, nitpick and pixel peep, and like, oh, like the sharpness of this lens is so good, and you know, focus on things that ultimately don't really matter. And that's actually something that a lot of people do. They focus on things like the, like bokeh, like the 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 bokeh, the depth of field quality, right? Like, you'll pay thousands of dollars so that the out of focus parts of your images look better, which is just it's weird, right? Um, yeah. But yeah, that's how it is, and it's just it's part of the passion, right? So it just. Uh, yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, it absolutely makes your work better. It it just, it makes you focus, it makes you pay attention to things that you notice things you otherwise would never have noticed, the texture, lighting, or, you know, composition, the obvious one, but it's also the, the, the not so obvious one, the not just understanding how a camera works, because when we're doing stuff in 3D, we're working with cameras. And real cameras and 3D cameras are the same thing. Like, you still have to understand how framing works and how a camera functions and what exposure. Like, exposure is such an arbitrary concept in in 3D because it doesn't, you know, you can control the lights as much as you want. Yeah. Um, But you also focus on lighting and understanding that how light works, how it bounces, how a larger light source will soften shadows and that sort of thing. Like, these are all things that I never even would have thought about if I hadn't been into photography. Right. Yeah,
0: that's really interesting. Yeah, it's. I I had a similar experience back in the day at university, and I was getting into photography. I was in the camera club, and it mm. was all film, and we were actually using the darkroom and having to go in and process our photos. And the amount of kind of consciousness that you need around that when you when you've you've spent half an hour just being able to see one image, like that that kind of amount of thinking about what you're doing. Yeah, It really forces you to make good choices and not, not have to not just be able to click anywhere you want and look sift through a thousand pictures where you when you get home to yeah. pick the good one but like really thinking about it I think that's one thing I love about photography is thinking whilst you're looking through the lens before mm-hmm. before you make that decision that I love I love that about the old the old world because you really really have to think. See, so every time you press click, you spend money basically. Yeah. And,
1: absolutely. Yeah. And you have to be. It really just having to think about it really makes your work stand out. And you kind of have to really pick and choose. And like, oh, if I wait five minutes, maybe the light will get better, right? And it's just like you have to be patient. And uh... but at the same time, on the other on the other side of the coin, you also have the the fact that we can spray and pray means we can take more risks. We can experiment yeah. more. See what works and what doesn't work. And so, like, oh, I wonder, you know, if if I expose this way, will it be better or cooler? And when you go back home to check your photos, you're like, oh, what I thought would be cool turned out look like total garbage, and yeah. uh, and or and the other way around. Sometimes some of my best photos are actually turned out to be snapshots, like the ones I I didn't even think about. I'm just like, oh, meh. take a picture, and next thing I know, like, oh, this is this is a banger of a photo. Um, okay, and meanwhile, the photo where I actually like carefully set up the tripod and you know got everything right and perfectly framed, and that was like ah, yeah, it's not the the best photo. So it, I like digital because you can experiment more and try new things, and uh, it you also learn faster because having the yeah. immediate feedback on the back of your screen, right? Like it tells you like oh, I completely messed up my exposure. Why? But with a film camera, if you messed up your exposure.
0: I don't remember the settings I used. You have to, yeah, you have to have to write it down if you were consciously yeah. trying to learn. And then who's that? Who's out there doing that in the field, like exactly. writing all the lens settings down? Yeah. So it's
1: uh, so there, there's you know pros and cons. Pros to and both. cons. Like, yeah, I I've enjoyed shooting film as well. It's just uh, it's it is a tedious process.
0: Oh, now I wouldn't. I wouldn't do it now for sure. No. No. no, no. <laughs> I mean, I think you've got
1: as long as the, Hey, I mean, if that's what you enjoy doing, I all the more power to you, right? It's uh, it's yeah. all about it's all about the passion, right? So people who say like, oh, film looks so much better. And like, well, I mean, we can emulate film like pretty darn well with digital nowadays, but I think as long as you're excited about whatever camera you're shooting, that's what's going to get you taking more photos. Whereas if you're, you know, if you just have your phone, you're not going to be very excited about going out to shoot with your phone, right? Like I'm sure my iPhone can take better pictures than an old, like, I don't know, 1950s film camera. But again, this is the classic case of like even though the pictures are better, you're not necessarily gonna take better photos. So it's it's all a matter of what gets you excited and gets you outside and you know where the camera takes you is wh- where what is important here.
0: That's so. awesome, yeah. Yeah, the fact it's actually taking you somewhere in the real world as well, where exactly. you spend far too much time in the in the virtual world. <laughs> it's getting exactly. outside. Yeah. So it's cool. Yeah, it's really, really Great to talk about that i think is the fundamentals of where it's at really you know all the tools that are coming out they've changed tremendously over my career in visual effects and and continue and it's just speeding up now so I think going back to that fundamentals the understanding of what makes good imagery is yeah absolutely key for sure yeah um so moving into um f- between visual effects and well, games and into effects and mm-hmm. and virtual production. Um, how how has it helped you, um, kind of jumping around between industries like that in terms of coming coming to where we are today and, and yeah. where all of this stuff's coming together?
1: I mean, I think having a background in games really helped me. Um, kind of because my whole go- the reason I think the reason I think my YouTube channel took off is because I was helping. It was you know again right place right time where it was at a period where a lot of VFX artists are starting to learn Unreal and you know there's no real translation for like VFX terms into games. It could be for example, five years ago, UDIMs didn't exist. That was not a games thing. That was purely a film VFX thing. And so like people are wondering like, hey how do we get like UDIMs in Unreal? Like until recently it wasn't really doable. So uh, so that was actually my first YouTube video was like, hey, how to get UDIMs in Unreal. And so you know, so I'm having worked in both industries, I'm able to kind of, you know, translate, for lack of a better word, a lot of those um, design philosophies uh, from one to from one industry to another, and um, <clears throat> yeah. So I think that that would really help, very very helpful, especially like in real time. You know, we it, it's all games oriented at least for now, and so until someone else comes along and makes another kind of engine. Um, Unreal is kind of here to stay. And so Unreal has, by na- its nature, it's a very games-oriented design philosophy. So having a game background helped me with that, for sure.
0: Amazing. Yeah, it's um, it's interesting going through the process of using Unity to make movies and then uh, Unreal coming in and really, really taking it by the reins and, and becoming the best tool out there. Um, yeah. I know we've, we've got one or two questions coming in sure. from the audience. Oh, that's uh, one which relate relates to that. Um somebody's asking about uh, Unity's acquisition of Weta Digital. Um, yes. and saying should should we have a plan to switch to Unity in the corner of our minds or does Unreal cover everything for the future? That's a kind of crystal ball type question, I know, but um yeah.
1: That's definitely yeah. I mean through yeah. the question in, like, I don't know. We don't really know. I mean, yes, I think the fact that Unity has acquired some of the tools is amazing. I think that's really, really cool because a until I mean, hopefully they make those tools accessible to the public, whether through a paid app or for free or whatever, it doesn't matter. The fact that we'll have access to those Weta tools is amazing because previously Weta was well, they, they did their own thing and you they would Just you can never really try those tools out. And so now that we can, it's exciting whether that's going to happen or not, whether we will have access to them or not. Remains to be seen. Um, I wouldn't. I think it's a bit too early to say, like, hey, maybe we should switch to Unity. I think you should use the tool that is that the tool that makes the most sense for you to use right now. Right. So don't yep. think about. Don't try to, to plan for the unforeseeable um, until you actually have a need to switch. Right. So don't switch for the just for the sake of switching. Switch if it makes sense.
0: Yeah, that's a, a great answer i think i would absolutely agree with that it's it, we we can't predict where it's going to go and i think having used unity on lion king and jungle book then switching yeah. to unreal 5. um i used unreal before that as well but no unity was the choice on those movies it was fairly straightforward once you're in a pressure cooker especially to yeah. pick those skills up if you need to really quickly it's, there's a lot of the i think going back to the fundamentals really you know the fundamentals apply across every single tool yeah the the, the tool might be different menus in different places but even the concepts amongst game engines they yeah. all borrow from each other exactly it,
1: it's like the whole 3ds max versus maya kerfuffle like it it doesn't really matter like as long as i can model my stuff in there that that's all, that's all that matters they're like oh should i switch to blender like well switch to blender if it makes sense if it makes your work faster great Otherwise, like don't switch just for the sake of switching, just to be into the, the whole trendy thing. Um, yeah. if, you're, if you're capable of and you're fast at working in Maya, stick with Maya. It just, There's no need. So it, again, it all depends on what you need to do and how fast you need to do it. And if a tool makes that your job easier and faster, sure.
0: Yeah. That's a, the right way around to think about it. What's the What's mm. the problem and how do you solve it? You can exactly. solve it already with something you use. Although I will confess, I'm I'm a 20-year Maya user currently uh, in the process of switching to Blender, but I'm still faster in Maya, and it's like oh, it. frustrating. I mean, no one <laughs> actually likes
1: Maya. Like I think they're, everyone kind of hates it, be <laughs> down to this ball of rage, but you kind of stick with it because of, I don't know, pure Stockholm syndrome or something. but. <laughs>
0: I, yeah, yeah, familiarity. You know, I'm, I know that I'm yeah, just like exactly. I can. I don't even have to look at the screen almost to be able to use my. Exactly. I uh, really have to think with a new tool.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah, it's really it's really uh, difficult. I think for a lot of people, talking about <clears throat> what to learn and how and when. Um, so another question that's come in: somebody's asking about which software packages you would recommend uh for film and virtual production as a generalist
1: i mean a either unreal or unity or whatever actual render you're going to be using that's kind of goes without saying um and then ha- on having an understanding of any other dcc for actual like modeling or creation of assets right so having an excellent understanding of 3d that can be bl- blender is a great one because it's free so it's like the barrier of entry is, is very low maya is really expensive. Even the Maya Indie version is not too bad, but it's still not free. So Blender, I think it's a great way to learn. And it doesn't really matter if you use Maya or Blender or 3ds Max or whatever. It, As long as you're good at one, spitting out models is fine. What matters, most, it's such a studio dependent thing, like some studios are very 3ds Max focused, some are very Maya focused. So I think, you know, try to aim for if you do the job that you really want, a position you really want at a certain studio you want to work for, find out what they use and use that. And yeah. uh, I think is kind of a safe bet just because A, it, it, you can't really go wrong with it. It's free and you got nothing to lose. So uh yeah, so but you know, it for film VP of the generalist, yeah, I think that's pretty much all you need to be honest. I can not uh, can you think of something else?
0: Yeah, no, I I um my favorite three these days are uh Unreal, Blender and Houdini. Yeah, I think those of Houdini
1: the a learning curve, like a, a steep learning curve for for some people. At least from yeah. my experience, of course. I mean, like as you so eloquently put before the the podcast, like you know, you're trying to explain it in a no BS way to make it more digestible for for newcomers, right? But I can understand why a node based system is a little bit daunting for new artists.
0: Yeah, it's hard. I mean, I love that, that little cartoon image out there of the learning curve for Houdini, which is yeah. like a slope. Then it goes into a cliff, and then it overhangs. And someone's hanging themselves off the edge of the overhang yeah it's tough it's very very difficult to learn but the power the power of it is unrivaled I mean, you know it's absolutely insane. it's so if I so good over,
1: like i would try to introduce
0: more houdini into my workflow
1: yeah. yeah
0: well yeah i mean i think it's there's a lifetime of learning in in cg that for ever, learning. You're never,
1: you're never done, which is both inspiring and depressing at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Like, you know, 15 years in the industry, you're like, oh, I still have more to learn. Like I just, after dinner, spend another hour or two just watching tutorials, and it never yeah. ends. But I mean, I like it. I, I like. I find that exciting, and so it's it's cool to pick up new things, and it's it's always inspiring to see new tools pop up that make things that were previously almost impossible suddenly sudden, very doable. Like a perfect example is when Dynamesh came out with ZBrush. Like that blew my mind. Um, that was a game changer. Um, now with Nanite, like that's also a game changer. Just throw in a 20 million Polygon mesh and handles it like a champ in real time. It's like that's just meanwhile, like Maya can't even have that a mesh in the viewport unless before crashing, right? So it's yeah. insane. Absolutely insane how things are changing now. So it's uh, it's an exciting time
0: to be uh, to be in the industry. I agree. Yeah, I, I've, I haven't seen this much innovation in the whole time that I've been in it. Really, you know, no. it was very exciting on the way in fifteen years ago, um, but the last few years really I think have been the most exciting part of it because because of that, there's so much change, and particularly coming into real the use of real time, it seems like real time is poking into almost every corner of mm-hmm. visual effects filmmaking way more accessible. accessible so much yeah. more accessible like I, the main
1: reason i did my the whole uh, tribute to halo video my whole master chief video in in, in unreal is because i wanted to do it in arnold but you know i was this was during covid and i was at home right. i didn't have access to a render farm and i'm working on like a it's it's a decent computer but it's nothing fancy i would say it's like a a mid-range gaming PC. Like, I can't render that out in Arnold and do a whole cinematic like that. That's going to take forever. So I think real-time just makes it way more accessible to the average person to just make cool art. You know, that's... It's not going to replace Arnold, not yet, but it's close enough for most people. So, uh, So that's the exciting thing.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, it's really, really amazing to be able to see it, like an equivalent of digital photography, I guess, so you can see the result in real time. Yeah. So for doing look development and it's actual development of the piece, not having to wait for a week for your photos to get developed or for the yeah. thing to that come back off the farm. Analogy. Very good analogy. I hadn't thought about it
1: that way. But yeah, it's a good point.
0: Yeah, it's really, I've I, I, render times. When, as soon as they started seeing, I was working in Unreal for offline rendering as well, it, it just, just purely because of the, render time, so it wasn't running in real time because I loaded it up with just grass everywhere and all the things that, you know, make it slow down, tons of transparency yeah. and whatever. It's like, but the, the, the still I was getting six frames a second, which is an incredible, uh, so much better than hours per frame, <laughs> six frames per second. <laughs> For sure. And
1: I don't miss render angling, like in the middle of the night, you get those emails <laughs> like, oh, like this farm node crash, like, oh, crap why you know, yeah no more of that is, is done
0: and people will never know what it's like to be a, a render angler sitting there oh, in, in a studio oh. <laughs> fortunately probably oh, a lot yeah, of people cut their teeth <laughs> <laughs> um another, another question that's come in about uh, talking about unreal 5 and the progression into this idea that we don't have to optimize as much anymore um do you what uh, somebody's asking about, do you see displacement still being a thing in Unreal 5 or is tessellation just going to take 100%, care of it?
1: A hundred percent, because displacement, having like texture-driven displacement is so handy. It's so useful where you can just add a little tileable texture, but even just for noise or um, what I'm doing in look development, I tend to work very procedurally. So like in Arnold, like all pretty much 90% of all my shader work is like fractals and like remapping of fractals and like triplanar fractal noises and stuff to kind of build some texture variation and such. And displacement is so handy to just drive displacement through um through maps and tile and procedurals and stuff like that. So yes, it's awesome that we can, you know, just bring our zebra sculpt directly into Unreal, but I don't think that it's always very convenient to have to have like the Geo baked in, so to speak. Sometimes I yeah. want to have a tileable texture And I can change the tiling on the fly and then displace that instead of having to somehow displace it in ZBrush or something or in Blender or whatever, bake that down, then export the OBJ or the FBX into Unreal. And it takes forever to import really heavy meshes into UE5. Like, yeah, Nanite can handle it fine, but you still need to get that FBX or the OBJ into the engine. And sometimes with really dense meshes, that can take like anywhere between five minutes and half an hour. So it's just. It's not very convenient. I would rather have like a typical uh texture driven subdivision based displacement in Unreal. And then it for Nana, then we can bake that down. If we could bake it down in Unreal, that would be great. Um but yes. can't, you can do that sort of. There are some modeling tools where you can um drive displacement through a texture and then bake that displacement. Um, but it's still very bare bones. It's like it's 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 there. The support is very limited now so hopefully that's probably going to get better um but I don't think it's going to replace a displacement based workflow based workflow sorry um I think I've, i'm I'm sure you're aware as well like it's displacement is so handy to have yeah uh, more ways than one so I don't think it's going to replace a displacement based workflow but um it is cool that we can just bring in dense meshes now I think it's This is very handy for photogrammetry. Um, Megascans have been doing this very well. Um, It's awesome to get those really gnarly details like pebbles and rocks and stuff with cool overhangs and things that you couldn't really do before. Um, So now it's nice to not have to worry about that anymore. Uh, Purely for a virtual production and when you're cinematics based approach. For games that's a different thing, totally different topic. Um, But yeah, for when you're just trying to make cinematics and nice looking images. It's it's
0: really exciting to see where that's going. Awesome, <clears throat> yeah, yeah. I, th- I think when I downloaded the Valley of the Ancients demo, I suddenly realized that okay, so all the mesh you put all the mesh in there now that's great, yeah. but now you've basically offloaded that problem to the hard drive, and yeah, exactly. <clears throat> that. So so where you might optimize for memory, now you're optimizing for disk space and yeah. bandwidth as opposed to so it's, a, it's still a consideration, it is. not not shoving every single polygon that you could into the engine. So you said, like, if you have to process it, then effectively you're kind of like rendering again. Anytime yeah. where I start feeling like I'm rendering in real time, yeah. whether it's light baking or some processing or whatever it is, I'm like not not using this engine in the way that yeah. I'm, I want to. And, and I was trying to get back to being able to use it quickly and rapidly and iterate fast yep. with it.
1: And so it's like, and Unreal Nanai doesn't even support displacement at all right now. So it's, it's not even a consideration. So we, we, it's actually not possible in its current state. So hopefully that changes. I really hope that they push for uh, making displacement more viable in the future, um, but time will tell. So you got to work with what you got, and yeah. you, you win some, you lose some, and there's no perfect platform yet. I think, you, like you said, yeah. um, kind of taking we're kind of offloading the problems um, you know, to something else. So it's yeah. I think it just makes it more fun for the artists because we don't need to spend as much time doing retopo and making and everything. So that's cool. Um yeah. but even then I still think we're still gonna be needing to do some a bit of retopo, a little bit. Uh especially for for, for uh like dynamic asset assets that move. That's not what nanite is for. Nanite's for purely static objects. So yeah. It's uh, yeah, we'll we'll see how things go. It's still pretty new tech, so I hope that they you know develop it more. So we'll see how it uh, how it is.
0: I'm sure they will, and it's incredible. And you know, I I think it's seeing seeing that demo, seeing the the previous de- uh, demo, the matrix demo after mm-hmm. that as well. It's unbelievable that you can get all of that. That would have been a struggle to get that much geometry even in a renderer at the beginning oh, of sure. my career, like we would have <laughs> not considered doing that even offline just because the farm yeah, would okay, And Arnold
1: would just like, oh, okay, well, I'm going to go get lunch now. Uh, yeah. It's uh, evenly popping on the farm and like, all right, we'll be, we'll see it in, in an hour. But now it's just like, the cool thing, is there's no sample noise, right? It's all right. like, you know, I mean, we're used to, turning down the sample, getting a, a render out just to kind of get an idea of what the render is going to look like. But now there's just no real sampling noise anymore. It's just clean renders. So it's uh, it's very unsettling almost sometimes where like things are <laughs> just so different. I'm like, what? It's just it's weird. So yeah.
0: It's cool. It's exciting. I'm, I see your point as well. I'm very excited to be at this, at this moment in history because There's so much going on. There's so much innovation. So many new people coming in as well from different industries that haven't experienced this before. Um, Definitely. Yeah, I I wanted to uh, ask you a little bit about your thoughts on um, virtual production. You know, it's it's a massive umbrella term, but as people are (laughs) describing it for almost everything in production and post and pre and. How have you seen the Unreal 5 come in and change the world of filmmaking and visual effects?
1: I mean, now that we've got, like, the fact that we can get a much better, higher fidelity render quicker. Now, with Lumen, we don't even need to consider baked lighting anymore, which is awesome, because baked lighting is the worst. Like, no one likes authoring light map UVs and that sort of thing, so it just makes... Uh, spend less time on the technical nitty-gritty stuff that no one likes that we just offload to the juniors to like, hey you, you do this. Um, but now we can actually focus on the art and make things look like I said, it's not an Arnold replacement, or it's not an offline renderer replacement, but it's close enough at some and for many of the shots. So that makes filmmaking a lot easier. It makes pre-V a lot easier. I think I really see UE5 being used a lot for pre-Viz. Um, just because of how it helps the director get a better, well, a a better visualization of, you know, depth of field and motion blur and, you know, lighting in general. Because when you're used to seeing, like, play blasts from Maya, they're very misleading. Because, you know, you could think, yeah, this looks fine in, in a play blast, and then you render it out, and like, oh, you know what, no, this is not what I had in mind. And so it just, you gotta go back to square one, but now it just, it's good enough. And you're like yeah okay this is it's close enough to the point where it's like yeah okay now we can just now we can render it and see how it looks uh, so there's there's um, that's one usage and then you know of course in the whole lead volume thing uh, which I've worked with a little bit but not very much so I'm um, that, that I really want to jump more into that I want to do more green screen stuff uh, moving forward because I think that was one of the questions like uh, if I experiment with green screens and lead walls and n- honestly not really not yet. And i want to do more of it i have done it in the past but it's you know there's so much to do now so yeah yeah there is too much <laughs> yeah. i was catching up what you kind of need to specialize a little bit like i've always prided myself in being a bit of a generalist like that's kind of how i got gotten all my jobs, just because i'm able to handle a broad variety of problems and you know, I mean, if you know, for example, especially in smaller studios. If you work in a smaller shop, you're kind of de facto going to be a generalist because you have some shoes to fill in. Someone is sick one day, or some kid, someone's uh, had to go pick up his kid at kindergarten, or whatever. And like, oh well, I guess I have to do anim today, um, and or tomorrow I'll have to do some lighting or look dev or whatever. So it's it's, it's good to uh, to be a generalist, but it's really hard to be really good nowadays. That a whole bunch of things so it's easier to specialize a little bit um and have a good understanding of how everything works but still having some fortes right i don't really know where i'm going
0: but yeah (laughs) i I like it anyway it's i think i said Say the same thing often to people asked, asking about getting into the industry. Um, well, first would be like which industry. Um, if you are getting into film, then still certainly specialising is, is important because they mostly take specialists. Although some generalism is, is slowly growing in the film world, yep. uh, but I think virtual production uh, is much more suited to the generalist and having having specialists in virtual production is actually not as great you know having people who can jump around and do different things because it it's it's certainly it's it's wound visual effects back to the kind of beginnings i think into it feels much more like a pirate ship again where people are figuring things out and having having yeah having those generalist skills there to be able to to dip into i think is really important
1: yeah i mean it's it's such it's a wild west right now like i think no one really knows what they're doing like everyone every single studio who has who works with LED volumes or green screen They all have their individual workflows and approaches to things because nothing is really standardized yet Like I know I've you know, i have on a few uh, virtual production groups and people are asking me like, Oh, like which LED screen should we buy and honestly like no one really knows it's all like oh This has worked for us that didn't work for us, but that was you know It depends on the combination that there's so many factors between like the camera that you're using to what your what your end goal is, like what your budget is, right, because some are more expensive than others and some of the cheaper lead volumes are, well, they don't play nicely with certain cameras. So it's, it's, there's there's no easy answer when someone asks that question, like, oh, like, what should we get and how do we get started? Like, honestly, <laughs> good luck to figure it out. <laughs> so uh, cause there's no Bible for it yet. There's no it's not really established um, it's people everyone figuring it out. I think is it ILM who's kind of making they used to use Unreal, but now they're kinda of using their own thing, right?
0: Yeah, I I am not sure quite where they're at these days, but I believe that they were getting back more into Unreal again. Um, because of the, the you know, the talent pool. Well, they use their own their own 3D software too. When I worked right. there, I had to learn it. It was you know, the Xenob was their own three three D tool. And yeah. I lived three days. Had to get productive in it, and start pumping shots out. It was quite difficult. Um, and I think that also restricts the number of people that you can bring in and work on a on a piece as well. I don't I don't know exactly where they are with that, but they definitely were. They used a real, I believe, um, Mandalorian one, and then switched yeah. to their own uh, to Helios. And I think they may be either using both now, or or ch- at least changing. All exactly.
1: It's, it's always a problem solving thing. We're like, okay, you do a post mortem at the end of a project. Like, okay, what went wrong? What went right? And then you kind of try to change it up for the next production and make things better. And then, like, oh, then you run into a whole new set of problems. Then you kind of back force and go back and forth a lot. And uh, yeah, it's, it's a, a long process of trial and error. It's such new technology that yeah. it's going to take another few years before we really. Um, you know, kind of iron out all these kinks and wrinkles and bumps in the road, um, because it's it's yeah. It until someone actually standardizes the whole process, it's going to keep being kind of the wild west. It's not uh, going to change. So uh, hopefully, UE five kind of helps with that, but we'll, we'll see.
0: That's that's what I like about it too. The fact that it's so hasn't figured itself out yet. Because being yeah. in, being in visual effects for me, I definitely had. Ups and downs in my career, and you know, it was a, it was my hobby and my passion. I really wanted to get into it. I dreamed of you know, Jurassic Park, was what made me dream yeah. of wanting to work on the movies and on the dinosaurs specifically. And it, it was amazing getting in and then doing it. Really uh, working at it, really really hard for a, a long time. I then fe- I felt it. I felt the passion drain a little bit, and partly. I Felt like i'd done a lot of things by that point but yeah. I, I basically wasn't growing as much anymore and that was partly my own fault of not not yeah. pushing myself to grow i got a little i think i, I burnt myself out a little bit too but everything coming, had every bfx artist i know has done <laughs> that at some point right so. well, at least at least 10 times yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah for sure
0: everybody's yeah. got that that uh story i think of you know, like you were saying you know like it, it got a bit much and who wanted to go traveling They've done the same thing a couple of yeah. times as well. It's,
1: and then, but we always come back. It's the Stockholm's Syndrome. Yeah. Like, oh, this, this, this industry cheated me terribly. Let's go back.
0: <laughs> it's like any addict. <laughs> yeah, it is. So. <laughs> but it's great. I love the I love the fact that now it's uh, there's so much enthusiasm and innovation going on. The fact that it's unknown is is challenging and also why it's great. It's, yeah, I think it's a really really great time in history. Um so, so somebody else asking about uh, unreal 5. um somebody's saying when is the best time to migrate your project to unreal engine 5.
1: so yeah Just so like, from um, 426 so if you are working in 426 right now you can migrate right away because that's going to be compatible um the kind of like caveat here is if you're working in 427 you can't migrate Uh, Because 4.27, I don't think was ever supposed to happen. I think COVID delayed the release of UE5, and then to kind of smooth things out, 4.27 came out. Um, And so 4.26 can be migrated right away to UE5. That's not a problem. So just be aware, if you already migrated to 4.27, you're going to have to wait until the actual official 5.0 release of UE5 to migrate 4.27 to UE5. So if you're in 4.26, you can go ahead and do it right now. That's fine.
0: Awesome. And um, another question that came in was, um, how did how do you see AI affecting these, especially some AI tools in within Unreal or not? Uh, down yeah, around?
1: AI in general is going to be an interesting one because a, I'm all for um, the automation of redundant tasks. So things like roto, like I yeah. think it's awesome that if we can have some really good AI doing clean roto for us. I mean, that, I mean, just the removal of green screen stuff, that's going to be mwah, so good, so awesome. I totally encourage it. Um, and I think it's going to come sooner than later. I mean, we already have like AI upscaling software, like gigapixel AI, and that's just insane. Um, I've absolutely upres renders from 1080 to like 8K, and it held up really, really well. And yep. like, <laughs> that's how, <laughs> that's black magic, like, it's, it's insane. So uh, I haven't tried the video one yet, but I really want to try it, and uh, yeah. so we'll see how it goes. But yeah. Oh, was, the Topaz. Yeah, exactly, that yeah. one, yeah.
0: Yeah, so, they're, yeah, their image-based ones are incredible.
1: Insane. Uh, so it, it's really cool to just like do a low-res render. A, it's faster, and mm-hmm. even, even in real time, like, because when you use the movie render queue, sometimes it can be slow if you have like a slow GPU and stuff. It's not real time when you render it through the movie render queue, which is, Weird. But yeah. Yeah. It's um so yeah, using the AI upscaling stuff is absolutely insane. And now I think Corridor crew made some like real time deep fakes as well, which is just uh the future is terrifying, really. Oh wow. <laughs> well in, in Unreal? Is that uh, okay. I, don't oh. I don't think so. I haven't okay. finished the whole
0: video, but yeah, that's uh but it will pretty do real time based on video.
1: Uh yeah. So it's like uh this is scary, but okay. So yeah, the, the future yeah. both amazing exciting and terrifying at the same time like are we all going to lose <laughs> our job to ai <laughs> so guess we'll find
0: out uh, I, we will yeah no no choice <laughs> time keeps progressing so yeah we'll um i don't know if we had anything more Oh, somebody's asking about the pros and cons of working remotely overseas mm.
1: Um, Yeah, so was I a well-established artist before moving to Norway? I mean, I had been working in games for six or seven years before moving to Norway. And so, like I said earlier, um, having, I kind of got into the industry in in VFX because of my Unreal knowledge. And so that that kind of really made things a lot easier to jump into. Pros and cons of working remotely overseas. Well, like, I'm actually, well, now, I wasn't working remotely until COVID happened because I was working in a studio here in Norway. And uh, so that was when COVID hit, uh, I think that was kind of an, an eye opener for a lot of studios, because at least in smaller countries like Norway, we have a hard time hiring really good seniors because no one wants to move to the snowy hellscape that is Norway. Um, right. Like it, It's cold up here. Like people would rather be by the beach in L.A. Like I totally get that um, personally. I love the cold. I love snow. I love winter. I'm Canadian. So um, yeah, so it, I think remote has made it easier for studios to hire talent abroad. It also makes it easier for students to live where they actually want to live because not everyone want, wants to live in LA. Um so, you know, it I think it's opening a lot of doors. I think there's there's some challenges involved, of course, but most of the challenges re, uh, revolving around remote work are all communication based. So, I think as long as you have good communication, it's pretty fine. So, yeah that's my take on this. I, I think it's awesome that we can live we don't need to live in these like expensive cities now we can just i live in the middle of nowhere like way out in the countryside and it's it's great it, it, it's nice to not have to pay the the same cost of living as you do in a capital city so it's um yeah are definitely a lot of advantages to remote work
0: i well, may, may uh that that answer's useful for me too <clears throat> may find me uh seeking somewhere else at some point <laughs> la yeah. is definitely pretty expensive I can imagine imagine. and crowded although I live I live kind of on the edge of it but um okay yeah no it's it's great I think for people to understand how you did it as well the fact that you definitely didn't just go straight out into the wilderness you started in um by by the sounds of it anyway honing your skills in a studio and then (laughs) being able to break out from there yeah 100 percent. so uh
1: yeah, no, that's uh, that's pretty much it there.
0: Great. Um, so yeah, before we wrap, we're coming to towards the end of the podcast. Um, uh, I want to ask you where people can find out more about you, and I know that one great way to do it, as probably everyone's already aware, uh, is your amazing YouTube channel, which has helped me personally and a lot of other people out in the world. Um, uh, how how did how did you? Well, we already talked about how you got into that, but um, I guess can you, you say anything about your your plans for it? And you're just going to keep making amazing videos. And...
1: I'm just that's the plan. I just can keep making content. I I enjoy it. I think it's a lot of fun, and it's fun to tackle different challenges and different problems. And uh, yeah, like I it, I think it's a lot of fun. And so I'll be doing a lot more photogra- photogram photography stuff moving forward as well. And so I'm hoping to do more and more of it. And uh, yeah, I think it's it's. Uh... It's been more fun than I expected it to be, so I'm looking forward to doing more of that. So just more of that stuff coming. Well, please, please
0: do, please we'll do. do, we'll do. <laughs> we all appreciate it very much on behalf Thank of all of much. our listeners. Yeah, no, it's fantastic, um, and I love I love the style and the the care that you put into them. I think it's it's exceptional. Um, so anywhere else that people can find out more about you, I know that you um you have your YouTube channel, you have an yep. art station. Yep.
1: So yeah, YouTube, ArtStation. I mean, I I have an Instagram as well, which I'm you know I don't post that much, but you know I'm there sometimes. Um, but yeah, definitely like YouTube and I try to get back to as many comments as I can in the videos. So when people have questions, I do try to get back to as many people as I can. But it's a full-time job answering everyone, so unfortunately, yeah. if I don't get back to you, it's nothing personal. Um, but uh, but yeah, so YouTube is definitely my thing. ArtStation, station, Instagram,
0: are my main ones. Yeah. Excellent. and uh, well, you also teach through the CG Spectrum. Correct, um, yeah. And um, you've been good enough to be a guest of ours. once or twice. And thank you very much for that. No and, yeah. Um, well, I could personally keep going all day. You know, this is this, this has been wonderful. I've really looked forward to this conversation. And um, just wanted to thank you again, William, for being on with us today. It's been a, a real pleasure.
1: The pleasure of mine thank you so much for having me It's an honored to be here
0: thank you well thank you also to our listeners thanks for joining us today from everybody out there on uh, seeing this live on facebook and twitch and to anyone listening on the podcast channels um yeah thank you very much for joining us if you want to find out more about what we're up to we have a free facebook group it's becoming a cg pro on facebook Um, we also have our website if you're interested in, um, in any of our classes uh, um, we have some new courses coming up in Houdini and more in Unreal um, so check that out if you're interested but yeah thank you all for being here today. I appreciate it and look forward to another one in a couple of weeks. Uh, stay tuned and have a great day everybody.